It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. I love your glasses in your uh, in your icon that flashed right before this. The big like rock star glasses. I love this. Yeah. Consequence Podcast Network. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Hey, and welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's the Interview Series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here, checking out the episode of the series. Of course, you know what to do. If you like what you see, what you hear, hit that subscribe button. You get three new interviews every single week, a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists. And discover the new ones at all the usual spots, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and NPR, WFBK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. You can subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. Uh, some of my recent guests include uh, Jewel Taylor, the uh, director and one of the screenwriters behind the Netflix film They Clone Tyrone. We had... Uh, uh, artist Madison Beer on here, uh, Matthias Schweighofer and Tom Harper to talk about the movie Heart of Stone with Gal Gadot, uh, Fosia, Bethany Cosentino of Best Coast, uh, Emily Kinney from The Walking Dead, uh, the cast of Minx, including Elizabeth Perkins. We had Ellie Kemper from The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Dylan Arnold on to talk about Oppenheimer, uh, Keanu Reeves dropped by with his band Dog Star. We also talked with Bruno Major, Janelle Monet, Greta Van Fleet, Ian Hunter, Lucinda Williams, and uh, Nick Hexum from 311. Those are just uh, some of the recent episodes that you get when you subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. And that's me, Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest is director and screenwriter Corey Finley. Uh, we're going to be talking about the movie called Landscape with Invisible Hand. Uh, now, this is, uh, let, let's see, it's, uh, it's a movie that uh, it finds an occupying alien species, bureaucratic rule, and advanced technology that leaves most of Earth impoverished and unemployed while two teenagers hatch a risky plan to ensure their family's future. So Corey's going to talk about why he chose to adapt the M.T. Anderson book, uh, the sci-fi movies of the 80s and indie cinema of the 90s that influenced him, and casting the movie with uh, Tiffany Haddish, Kylie Rogers, Asante Black, and Josh Hamilton, just to name a few. Uh, Corey's also going to dig into why the aliens are obsessed with 1950s American television, how his own look at the future of AI is uh, more on the darker side, uh, and we'll also talk a little bit about the music in the film and the uh, Michael Abel score that soundtracks it as well. All that and more as we talk about Landscape with Invisible Hand. It's Kyle Meredith with Corey Finley. How are you? Landscape with Invisible Hand. What a what a cool, unique movie. I, I was thinking, and, and maybe you'd even said it before, but um, it's not only do you got this great story, but it feels like a big movie and a little movie all at the same time good oh good i'm glad you said that the heart, heart of a little movie in the body of a the sort of 
mecha robot of a pot like a, a a small movie piloting a big movie right right and it does it feels like that all the way through and then we start going back to the beginning because so so what we've got here you know is is sort of a, a futuristic movie in some sense in some sense it still feels like close enough to the presence there are aliens involved it comes from a book from mt anderson why why was this the story that spoke to you how how did it start from the book to you to the movie so the I, I just love so many things about the book. I love this kind of central metaphor that it has, where it's a, you know it's an alien invasion story, story of a man, a young man coming of age, falling in love in a alien invaded world. But the the big twist being that it's not like a military uh, forceful invasion. It's a peaceful invasion by means of the free market, where the aliens come and they just make stuff better than we do, and we gradually accept their their rulership as a as a matter of free market you know, reality. I thought that was really subversive and and unique and some, you know, in, in a crowded world of sci-fi allegories, that's one I hadn't heard before. And I also loved how it, how kind of just out there it was tonally, how different it was from anything I'd done before. Uh, it was not this all respect to Black Mirror, which I love. It was not this sort of near future, five minutes into the future Black Mirror sort of thing. It was, it, it had aliens. It was, it was going for it. And uh, that was an appealing challenge to me, having mostly done very kind of human scale stories up to this point. It does land at an interesting time. I mean, it was just this morning, of course, that I was reading about uh, Tom DeLonge and Blink-182 and, and, and all the trials going, not trials, all the, uh, the conversations going on in, in Congress about the UFOs. And I thought, something i don't know something's in the air you know no pun intended uh but but there seems to be sort of this we've done it in the past where we're starting to look upwards again you know we're in the 50s the 80s and here it is again what is it for you what what is it for you that made you go that's it that's that's where i'm focused well, I should say MGM actually did pay the U.S. military to like declassify those videos and like make a thing. So this was our viral marketing campaign that's finally uh, paid off. That's <laughs> well played. Obviously not true, but um, the uh, but yeah, it does. There is something in the air, and I think there's in, in in a way that's really taken off since we since we made the movie. There's a huge thing about AI, and I think that uh, was not the central meta metaphor I was attempting to take on, but I think it speaks to some of the same ideas for sure. You know, I mean, that stuff just kind of lands in your lap, though, right? You know, you're like, do you, do you, like it's a, do you feel like it's a gift? It, it is a gift. I think hopefully anytime you're dealing with, uh, you know, themes that feel uh, that feel relevant in this, for me, the hook this time was really this, this sort of, you know, the overused term, but the late capitalism ideas and the uh, and the sort of colonialism uh, metaphors. But uh, anytime you're dealing with that stuff, Hopefully, just things will happen. Uh, you know that 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 hopefully will kind of if if you could be agile enough and subtle enough, but also specific enough in your in your choice of allegories, uh, you will you know grab on to new uh, new cultural developments as they arise. So that's the hope. So, and for you and your background, you you were even saying like this is you know you hadn't done anything like this before, but uh, you know it, it, it's almost. Asking a question like I'm about to ask is like musically speaking, like, oh, do you like rock music or something like that? But but when we're talking about sci-fi, you know, and stepping into this, I mean, what was what was your come up come up in? No, that's a different phrase. What 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 was your youth about like with sci-fi? I mean, were you looking at any of you know your favorites, the influences, anything like that? I definitely was a kid who loved 
I wasn't specifically a science fiction uh, addict or anything like that, but I mean, I loved like E.T. and Star Wars and all that, like like anyone else of, of my generation or any generation. Uh, and, um, and I was actually a big fantasy head. I did a lot of reading of long fantasy novels and, and some sci-fi too. Um, but, and I love that. I think I also had, I have a real love for, um, I guess kind of 90s, early 2000s, um, sort of a, a certain kind of American indie cinema that I like um, being John Malkovich and these kind of very uh, off the wall. I guess they're, they're not science fiction so much. They're like surrealist uh, or absurdist um, films. And, and that was a, that was something about the book that really spoke to me. Again, it has these aliens, but it does not treat them with the, the reverence and the seriousness that, that some uh, books and movies treat their aliens. They were very much uh, a kind of strange, deadpan, comic, surreal element. So I think it united those two interests for me. Yeah, I mean, seeing the alien get picked up and thrown around. <laughs> like, it's not something I expected to see in the movie uh, when you get no. in those moments. You don't see that every day, yeah. Yeah, because I, I was even thinking about, like, you know, we talked about the 80s, and there was movies like uh, The Explorers, you know, uh, Ethan Hawke and, uh, and River Phoenix, uh, you know, the kids. It, it, like, there there are those moments that, that sort of, uh, I don't know, it doesn't remind me of that because I really do love the surrealist part of this. Yeah. No, but uh, but that yeah, there's that whole slate of great '80s kind of family oriented, but also dark and subversive uh, sort of creature stories and all of that. And yeah, I think it's all it's all of a piece. And we'll be right back right after this. Shout out to uh, Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I, I live in Kentucky, in the Midwest, and allergies. Yeah, I suffer. When I say I suffer from allergies, I suffer from allergies. And around here, everyone I know deals with allergies to some degree. And for a long time, I thought it was just something that I would have to live with, which is a real problem um, for anything, but especially when you're a radio host. It affects my voice. It affects my mood. It affects everything. And I feel like I've tried every, I've tried all the medicines. Some of them work better than others, but there's there's never a perfect one out there, especially because some of them take forever to actually work and some of them don't work at all. And then there's Astapro, the fastest solution to nasal allergy symptoms. It's what I use now and it's definitely changed my life. Astapro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Uh, Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. With all the pollen in the air, with all the dust around the the corners of the house, uh, even with uh, the allergies I have from my dog, Astapro has been the nasal spray that has helped me with all of my allergies. And it can help you too. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Corey Finley. So, you know, talking about these aliens, though, because when we start to find out their personality, and, and as you're talking about the plot, I mean, we are kind of the reality TV for them. Yes. But they're also sort of way attracted to this golden era TV version of America. Like when you're making this, obviously, and again, you know, it's based on a book, but how much do you allow yourself to think about the why why are they like this why are they so attracted to power and control why are they so attracted to the golden era tv you know and and why are we still in a future where the rich still get to have fun but the rest of us don't you know does that sort of play a part of it as well yeah a lot of good questions there i mean uh thinking about the why to me it was just very um I love the idea that the aliens started it. The book goes into this a little bit more, but the aliens started watching us in the fifties, which is, you know, the great human era of, of speculative flying saucer fiction and art and all that. Right. It's, it's kind of when those of us on earth started looking to the stars, as you were saying earlier. Uh, and I love the idea that that's maybe that maybe that was because the Vov did start watching us at that point. And we started catching a, you know, catching glimpses of them here and there. And then there's, as far as the sort of colonialism metaphor, there's something interesting about like any any culture that comes into a culture they don't totally understand. It's very easy for that that uh, sort of invading culture to sort of fix the home culture at one point in time to sort of always um, always see that culture. I thought you know even sometimes when you'll when you'll travel around the world, you'll see the sort of touristy areas. There's people wearing the traditional garb. You get out of the touristy areas, and not not every country, but like there's certainly a kind of incentive to sell an earlier version of your culture to uh, to outsiders. And I thought that was a, an interesting dark twist uh of, of, of how the the humans would be sort of economically incentivized to present themselves to the book because getting you know you you think at one point like oh this is absurd you know we'd never let this happen we totally let this happen we would probably yeah. totally let this happen in this exact same way and that it might be the saddest you know part of the story definitely and, and you were talking about yeah the rich uh how how, how would the future with this magical new technology allow an even greater wealth concentration and you know, a, 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 a slightly left-leaning view of the, the past will find uh, all sorts of times when technological innovations uh, create a lot of profit and, and wealth, but that a greater, an ever greater fraction of that profit is captured by, you know, the capitalists at the top. And, and uh, there was something funny and dark about those capitalists at the top being, you know, not even on the surface of the earth, like the, the profits flowing up to the mothership. Do you... Um after making something like this, after spending so much time with a story like this, you get a sense of, are we doomed as a humanity? Do we have, like, you know, that could, do, you, do you take it that far? Uh, sometimes. I think all of us can feel uh, a fear about the future. Certainly some of this AI stuff is, is you know, fun fun to play around with, but also feels, uh, it, it, you you can feel how quickly 
total irrelevance of, of human labor could become. Uh, and I guess I have, a, I, I have, I have a somewhat dark view of the future, but, uh, but not maybe just naively, not one of total crisis yet. Uh, I think it's, it, it might be coming, but all we can do is, is try to enjoy the world, you know, a day at a time. And as, as parts of the movie maybe suggest, just do your best to follow what you love and what makes you human as, as the world is changing. Yeah, the AI thing, and especially with art makers, I mean, you're a maker of arts and you hear some people that are like, this is a great tool, don't be afraid of it. And you hear the other people who are on the far other end of the spectrum you know, run for your lives, you know, where, where do you fall on that spectrum as, as a person who's, you know, able to make movies? And I'm sure to some certain degree that could make parts of it easier if it's used as a tool. Yeah, I'm definitely more of a run, run for your lives person about the question of <laughs> AI in, in art right now. I mean, I'm not going to go and try to smash the server racks at, uh, you know, open AI or anything. Like I'm not an extremist about it, but I do think, uh, yeah, to me, it's all a little bit chilling. I, I, I even feel like I, I often have debates with my uh, with my more free market minded dad. Shout, shout out to to, to Peter Finley um, about uh, technical innovations and like, ha did we reach a point somewhere after 1950 where sure all the new medical innovations, for example, right, cures for strokes and, you know, cancer research and all that has clearly made human life better. And there are all these metrics that my, my dad can cite about how human, you know, human welfare generally is better for everyone as, as technologies improve. But you look at like some of the big hallmark technologies, of, uh, hallmark American technologies specifically for the last several years of, you know, Uber and DoorDash and, and like, uh, I don't know, I don't want to call out specific companies, but like a lot of the stuff that has increased convenience and, and locked us more to our phones. To me, it's not totally, it's not an original idea, but it's not totally clear that all of that has has actually improved the quality of human life versus sort of chained us to this this dark new uh, you know online world evermore. I mean, when we were younger, at least when I was younger, uh, I remember it was you know we'd be told at schools like it's not healthy to watch more than eight hours of TV a week. <laughs> right, right. And now like you can knock that out in a day or so. Hey, on screen on your on your yeah the never look at your screen time apps you know it's always disturbing to see the number of hours you've been on your phone or laptop and we'll be right back right after this i've never been this nervous in my life Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Corey Finley. Well, you also create a very unique alien in this movie. And I've heard you talk about it, you know, being like it starts with a coffee table. I'd love to hear you talk about that, too, because because we've never seen this alien before. I hope so. That was certainly our goal. Was There are so many aliens that, you know, it's it's there was an interesting Twitter thread by uh, it was Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about how if there was a real alien discovered, it's likely that it would be, we, we wouldn't even be able to conceptualize uh, how how profoundly different it would be in structure and everything else from anything we know on earth, right? Because it would have evolved in a completely different habitat. Um, and so obviously, you know, we, we didn't want to make something so abstract that it, it lost its 
groundedness. Um, but we really tried to avoid like an octopus alien or a spider alien or a, or a, a cat alien, right? Like, like falling into just, it just looks like that thing. And if anything, our, our North Star was, as you said, the, the coffee table, which is what M.T. Anderson uses to kind of describe it in, uh, in, the, uh, in the book. And then we spent a lot of time just keeping its body very, very simple and like almost comically simple, but then having its means of communication be this very elaborate like dance with these paddles being rubbed together. And so we spent a lot of time figuring out both the sound and the kind of animation elements of, of that. Um, the big shout out to Eric DeBoer, who is our VFX supervisor and to Gene Park, who spearheaded all the, the sound work on the creature and throughout the movie. And their features just leaves to so many moments. I mean, watching them try to use a remote control. Yes. I mean, yeah. uh, I've already done that a few times at the house, by the way, when I reached for the remote, my <laughs> wife was there and just. <laughs> good, good, good. We're adapting that into the real world is what I'm saying here. Yes, that's me anytime I try to use a remote. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and speaking of shout outs also to some of the cast, I mean, seeing Tiffany Haddish almost sort of play against type to what we're used to seeing her and, uh, and, and Kylie Rogers, who uh, you know I, I had on here uh, talking about Bo is afraid and and right, right. seeing having her uh, you know what I know that's the easy question but what were you looking for when you when you cast the movie Yeah, I, I try to be very instinctive with casting. Um, I've, I've worked for two movies now with Ellen Lewis and Kate Sprantz, who are awesome casting teams, and they they have really good instincts, and I have I hope I have good instincts too, and we try to be try to like watch a lot of tape and and have people read and sometimes it's you know to tiffany it was a straight offer we just sent her the script um I, she's someone i've wanted to work with from since uh since girls trip i just think she's like a, a comic genius and has underrated dramatic chops as well but um but yeah i just think that uh uh i look for different things depending on each role but I, i'd say one thing that i always am that i'm just personally drawn to instinctively is like actors that are very comfortable with stillness. Uh, I'm a very fidgety person. I'm not that way at all. But I think the ability to, um, it, it's a certain kind of just inner comfort and charisma. And it can, it, 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 actors that have very interesting eyes, not just physically, but that's kind of use their eyes in a very um, specific, compelling way. I, I tend to, I think, shoot in a way that makes those qualities very important. Well, just, you know, seeing the family dynamics of the two families at the table and just it being so at odds. I mean, everybody played their character so well in this. And and and, and I'll quickly hit, you know, of course, the music that's going on this. Uh, Jerry Wallace on the radio sounding like Elvis with those brown walls yeah. just around set such a mood. <laughs> and and that's and, and I wondered about that, too, because, you know, we, we talked about sort of that golden era, but there is. There is something that it feels like you were trying to say with that office dynamic. And, and what exactly was that? Well, that's that whole idea, again, taken directly from the book that the Vov are kind of stuck in the 50s. They see that as a kind of human golden age. And uh, and that um, and I, I worked closely with Sue Chan, who's our wonderful production designer, to it, we like that for we like this kind of weird, oppressive mid-century feeling, both for its thematic uh you know the for thematic reasons and also uh it's as you refer to it's just such a creepy unpleasant uh aesthetic and it's so far from what we expect in a science fiction movie um of these sort of you know gleaming white walls and and sort of beautiful clean cinematography we tried to sort of dirty things up as much as we could and and it was fun to have even in these these alien spaces to 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 
uh, zig rather than to zag rather than zig and to, to go for a less uh, pristine sci-fi environment. And, and for us, that was this kind of dated mid-century, slightly off aesthetic. And you get Skeeter Davis doing It's the End of the World. Oh, yeah, I love her. You really know your, uh, your, your, your period <laughs> music. I'm impressed. I try to do that. Was there any, you know, you, you hear about people that's got songs in mind, of course, maybe you can't clear them or whatever. Do you, do you have those moments in movies like this? Like, oh, it's, you know, but for whatever reason? Sometimes. Uh, sometimes I'll have songs in mind. But I do think for me, like usually uh, the music is such a late process of discovery. Certainly for my first two movies, it was, I really did not know the direction I wanted to take the, the score until, until we had like an assembly of the movie and I could kind of feel it. With this one, I was working again with Michael Abels, who did Bad Education with me, and we had kind of a shorthand. And he started working on some cues before we were even finished shooting, I think. And uh, he just started doing some crazy things with a, a theremin, which is such a sort of iconic and also kind of date, kind of a retro futuristic uh, instrument, early electronic instrument. And uh, combine that with this sort of like ramshackle orchestral feel. Um, and that became, you know, he, he just started kind of freestyling with it. And that became a real guiding tonal inspiration for what we were doing in the edit. Well, as a music nerd, I, I love the uh, the mood of the whole thing that you were able to paint with that one, too. So, uh, Corey, uh, Landscape with the Visible Hand is so good. August 18th, theaters? In theaters, yes. Looking forward to seeing it uh, on a much bigger screen than uh, the screen I've had so far. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it, man. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Appreciate yeah. it. My thanks to Corey Finley, Landscape with Invisible Hand. It's now in theaters. Thanks to you for checking out the episode. Again, I do hope you hit that subscribe button. You get three new interviews again every single week. A new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at Spotify, Apple Podcast, at NPR, WFPK.org, and of course YouTube for the video versions. Again, anywhere you get your podcast from, you can subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. After that, head over to WFPK.org. Try to do a show Monday through Friday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. You get the best in new music, lots of classic tracks. We celebrate big round of anniversaries. There are bonus interviews. Uh, one of my recent episodes included the music of Duran Duran, David Bowie, Talking Heads, Echo and the Bunnymen, Astro Gilberto, Nina Simone, Lou Reed, The Cramps, Tom Waits, Wilco, Catatonia, Billy Holiday, Suzanne Vega, Jurassic 5, The Killers, Santi Gold, Stone Roses, Fiona Apple, and an interview with uh, Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam. That's just an example of what you get every weeknight at 6 p.m. Uh, at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots uh, anywhere. Anywhere there's social media. My address is at Kyle Meredith. So I do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media.